Hey, this is Nadia Jaksimbaeva, the founder of Reinvention Academy and author of the Chief Reinvention Officer Handbook, How to Thrive in Chaos. If you're wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannit. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey, listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world, and I want to welcome you to today's episode. I've got a wonderful guest with me. Her name is Nadia jackson Bayeva, and she is, well, in various magazines and also TEDx discussions. They call her the Reinvention Guru or the Queen of Reinvention, and she is a scientist, entrepreneur, and author specializing in resilience and reinvention. And what a wonderful topic to be talking about. And so she's got her latest book, which is called The Chief Reinvention Officer Handbook, How to Thrive in Chaos. Nadia, a a massive welcome to you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Dennis. Thank you. So I'm in New Zealand. Whereabouts are you? Which part of the world are you in today? I'm in Columbus, Ohio, USA. Oh, wow. Amazing. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm talking to tomorrow, uh, to, to yesterday, and you're talking to tomorrow, so it's pretty cool. Very good. Hey, I've given our listeners a little bit of an introduction to you. Tell us a little bit more. Is there anything else you'd like to share about your background? Oh, sure. I was born in the Soviet Union. Talking about why I'm in leadership and change, you can imagine that Soviet Union as a region has gone through tremendous amount of disruption and change in the last hundred years. So I was born to a family of uh, political dissidents. Most of my great-grandparents and grandparents I executed. And I grew up searching for a way to live in the world that felt a little bit more hopeful. So that's my background. Wow. 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 What an amazing background. And so when did you, were you born in the US? Did you move to the US? I was born in the Soviet Union, the part of the Soviet Union that is now called Kazakhstan. And most people don't know a few things about Kazakhstan. Number one, it's the ninth largest country in the world. So we have a lot of land and almost no people. Why do we have almost no people? Because about 90 years ago, in the late 1920s, early 1930s, the Soviet Union government created a genocide that murdered 40% of Kazakh people. So this is the history of my land. I came to America on a scholarship to study civic education, psychology, and management in 1998. Excellent. And you've got a doctorate in organizational behavior, is that right? Absolutely. That was an absolute gift. This was my professor group, a group of professors in college, who pretty much kicked me (laughs) 
I was I was refusing to do doctorate, and I wanted to go to New York City, where all of my friends went after college. And they said you will not be happy, so you will apply, and you will say no only when they say no. So I went on and did my doctorate very very young, right after bachelor degree. Wow, brilliant. Excellent. And so what was the transition like for you coming to the U.S. to live or going to the U.S. to live? Well, what was that transition like for you? Well, everything you can imagine. I came here in 98. At that time, we had no emails. I called my parents once a month on a five-minute prepaid card. And for the remaining of the months, they didn't know if I was alive or dead. The best guess was that if I'm dead, they will be informed. That's mm. about it. I loved the amazing quality of education. I got such a glorious education in terms of uh, my college and then later my doctorate. I went to school in upstate New York. Then I went to Case Western. There is no way I can ever repay the quality and the care that I got during my education. And that carried me through. Uh, I think Mm. the, the care of professors and community around me is what carried me through. Yeah, isn't it wonderful when you get the right people around you to support you? It's amazing what you can go off and, and achieve and be, which is which is brilliant. And I think it's really important that we do network. But I think the key one I'm going to say here with a caveat is that you have the right people around you. And I think that's really, really important. I am with you. I think the combination makes magic that can never be explained with rational thought. Uh, yeah. Why did we blossom so much this mm collection of kids who barely spoke any English. And we all have glorious careers around the world because we were at the right place at the right time with an amazing group of professors. Yeah. And, and then how did you come together with those professors, right? In other words, how did that all happen? It's like magic. It's really, really amazing to, to see as well. So Nadia, how did you get into leadership? That was a story long before I left the Kazakhstan land, right after the collapse of the Soviet Union. So you can picture this. Soviet Union collapsed without any prior warning. There was no referendum. There was no discussion. There was no vote. There was no warning. Three people got drunk in the woods and signed dissolution documents. The president of our country was in flight trying to stop them at the time of this happening. And he was too late. So one day we wake up. We have no government, no police, no ministers, no healthcare, no nothing. My country was so taken by surprise that it took us almost three years to develop our own currency. So there was this absolute vacuum on the ground. And at that point, in just a few years later, 1992, I believe, an amazing organization was born called Association of Young Leaders. It was born in partnership with California Association of Student Councils. And the goal was to give basic leadership skills to young people, people in their late teens, early 20s. And imagine my surprise that after being trained at a Association of Young Leaders conferences and then becoming a facilitator and a coach, I come to do my doctorate and I learned that what we were teaching and using was actual science. I was just blown away. But we were introduced to Tuckman's theory of group development, for example, a lot of tools on strategic planning and many other things in leadership theory that I use to this day. So I got very, very lucky that in a very young age, I was introduced to some of the best leadership thinking in the world because of this vacuum, this opening that was left out of the collapse and the rebels of the Soviet Union. 
So did you actually have a desire to be a leader? Or was that, where, where was that, that desire to get involved and learn about leadership? Where did that come from? But you see, I have a, a particular point of view on leadership. Right. I do not believe that you are a leader in the sense of a title or a noun. Leadership for me is a space you enter and exit many times a day. Yeah. I do leadership or I enter the space called leadership 20 times a day and then I exit. And it is a choice, a particular mode of activity or my particular way of operating around the world that comes as a cocktail with many other forms of operation and many other forms of behavior. So I felt like I need the skill set because many times during the day, I need that particular activity if I want to be successful. Mm. Mm, I like it, how you enter into a space and you exit it as well as a leader. And maybe similar to the way I look at it as, as well as sometimes we have a, it's like baseball caps, right? Mm-hmm. So you might be a, a coach, a leader, a mentor, and a trainer, possibly. And within a certain discussion or conversation, I might be changing that cap, those caps a lot, right? So I might be entering it. So, but I like the way that you put it, that you can enter into that space and exit out as, out as well, because there will be times where you are the leader and there'll be other times where you're the follower or you may be doing other things as well. And I really like that whole analogy that you just shared. I love Mm. that. Well, it comes from a nomadic culture. I think most Aboriginal societies around the world and Kazakhs are nomads that still to this day don't have their own alphabet. We used to borrow Arabic and currently we're using Cyrillics, but our own alphabet is oral because we never wrote things down. Nomads don't write things down. So the traditional Aboriginal cultures all look at leadership as a circle, as a dynamic force that is larger than any human being. And you enter the circle and you exit the circle. You don't hold (laughs) the power indefinitely. So you can find it in a lot of mythical traditions. You will find it in a lot of kind of processes and organizational structures of a typical council in a typical village. It's very circular and it's very much a space type of metaphor. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Very good. And even if we think about today, like if we go and say to the Western world and we look at other countries, that they have communities. That's really a circle. There's there's, there's the circle, right? And then... Uh, I don't know about you, Nadia, but I know that in a lot of uh, what you said before about it's not just about a title because a lot of a lot of people have this title and they think they're the leader. No, you're not. Because you, if I look around, there's not many people who are actually following you. You just got it there because of the title, right? But I think the other thing is, you know, we're being an influential person is really important, but it's also quite hard. In other words, if you've got the title, you're the title, your compensation and benefits are associated with that person. So you better do what they say and listen. That's sometimes how we look at it. But if you go into the community groups, not for profits and things like that. A lot of people aren't being paid. They're volunteers. So you as a leader need to be a lot more influential. And so to bring them into the circle when you've got to go into that circle of being a leader and then sometimes coming out of it as well. I think it's that's just a beautiful way of saying it. I think it's really, 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 really cool. Hmm. Hmm. Now, you, because you've worked with a lot of leaders and uh, you've probably got a lot of experience around many of them. Who's your favorite leader? Now, this person can be a libel from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? I'm not very original in what I have to say. I believe that it's all about our close family. And for me, it's definitely my parents and my daughter. This is the surprising thing is that most of what impacted my life comes from very close circle. But I'll give you an example of how my daughter leads my life. She's 17. 
And half of my stories in business come from stories of my daughter. I'll give you one. A couple of years ago, she was about 14. We were in Croatia and we were walking on the coast and having a conversation about how important she is in our life and how we don't want to lose the connection. And she said, oh, don't worry, guys. You are two of my three favorite people. And she's a single child. And we're like, what the heck? We're two of the three. Who is the third who can raise up to the level of like what? And we're like, we, we, we kind of respect. We say, Lila, two of the three, who is the third? And she said, me, I'm my favorite person. Whoa. I, to this day, I'm still not reaching that level of honesty. If I honestly say to myself, am I my favorite person to this day? I'm not. And she's already there. Wow. Did this, oh, <laughs> that is awesome. Did it leave you speechless? Uh, yes. To this day, it leaves me speechless because I need to learn that kind of way of leading oneself first. I think when we learn to love ourselves and lead ourselves fully taking responsibility for every single choice and doing it with a lot of love, then we can lead everyone else. So in my, in that sense, I'm not original. My parents, my child, those are the people who still to this day are my greatest leadership role models. Yeah, that's wonderful. Oh, what a great story. And, you know, isn't it interesting how the young ones, the, the kids and that, they just look at things so simple. And yet again, us as as as, as growing ups, as we call them, we look th- look at things, but we make things so complicated. And at the end of the day, ask a kid what they think; they'll tell you, and you probably you probably get the truth. You probably understand. And you know, oh wow, what a wonderful story! Yeah, yeah very good. Hey, um, Nadia, the sh- the show here is called Leadership Is Changing. Uh, when I mentioned that title of the show or that statement, what does that mean to you? I think this is the this- most fundamental, most important story of our life. Mm. And our life, I mean, this particular era in which we are is such a peculiar moment in history. We are going through fundamental changes and I don't think we fully comprehend how monumental they are and how core to humanity what's going on is. So for me, the title of this podcast is a reminder that the rules of the game that were carrying us for the last couple of hundred years are no longer here. And we have to fundamentally change how we see the world and how we show up in this world as people with leadership responsibilities. So how we show up and how we see the world is got to look at, we got to look at it differently, right? We must. And there are many different things I can say. You can analyze it from different levels. So first, first and foremost, it's very clear we are at the intersection of multiple levels of change. You can take political change. It's very clear that no country in the world right now is super happy with uh, the political system they're in and the need for reinventing political systems and upgrading them and up-leveling them is super high. Economic system. It's very clear that the current version of capitalism is not working and we need to reinvent what we understand as creation of value because that's what economy is all about. Talk about societal expectations and the contract we have with each other as members of society. 
reinventing our relationship with nature, climate change, and tons of other things, pollution, and many other impacts we're making, the running out of resources. And I can keep going. Take every single system that is crucial to us. We are at the intersection of either we reinvent or we perish. And because of that, the idea that we can change once in a blue moon, that we can treat change something like a wedding we put on maybe once or twice in our lifetime, and then we coast. We just do the same thing for 20 years. That idea worked beautifully for last century, for our parents, for even us, if you think about some of our bosses. It's no longer here, and we have to rethink our relationship with change altogether. Mm, mm, I love it. And reinvent or we perish. Really, really wonderful. And so the last piece you just said at the end, so it's reinvent leadership. I think the need to reinvent leadership is, is really important. The need to reinvent full stop is just everywhere, right? So you're saying, and I, I, you're right. I mean, there's all these different systems we can talk about what's going on, even just right down to the pandemic and actually working from home is another way of saying reinventing. It's just we knew that was going to happen in the sense of working from home, but that's just pushed it. Let's just put it on steroids and it's taken off, right? The fact of just walking around the neighborhood, trying to get some exercise, but people saying hello to each other, that is seeing it reinvent that old style of community again. Great way to sing it. I think all of the plex interconnected and condensed forces right now are making it hard for us to look away. Yeah, It used to be easier to look away, to get to get distracted by social media, to get distracted by another KPI or goal you set in front of yourself. I don't know, I'll buy this car or I'll buy this, I don't know, I get my first house or whatever other distractions we used to hold on to. It's becoming harder and harder to look away from some fundamental questions, which is, who am I? What do I want? Why am I here? Some of the most most basic questions are some of the hardest to answer. And the pandemic accelerated a lot of these questions also for the companies. Who are we as a company? Why are we here? Why are we here? Do we even have a value add or are we unnecessary? I think a lot of businesses suddenly realize that they have to figure out, are they necessary? Do they create value in the world? where there is no more artificial demand created and where people stood back and said, do I actually want this or do I want an alternative version of my future? Yeah, I, I like it. The way I talk about it, Nadia, is what you're just saying is I talk about where a lot of us are on autopilot. So we just do day in and day out. But what you're saying is, is so right in the actual distracted bit. In other words, lift the carpet up, put it under the carpet and hope it'll go away or not even look at it and just sort of put our heads in the sand and hope we're okay. And you're, you're so right because we are actually having to face it and answer these fundamental questions. And businesses, as you say, are having to ask that question. And if they're not asking asking the question and answering themselves, the marketplace may actually tell them the answer and it's too late. And so, yeah, I, I love it. I think it's it's really good. And who I am and what do I want and why am I here? Very, very important questions. And I think it comes down to one thinglessness. It comes down to the fact that purpose. If we understand our purpose and where we're going, this is why we're seeing a lot of organizations helping their employees understand their purpose in life. Mm-hmm. It's key. My husband reminded me recently, we went for a walk and he said he heard it somewhere that is so true that our age 
is not the time where we have attention deficit disorder, but we have intention deficit disorder. We don't have enough intention. And because of that, nothing holds our attention hard enough. Mm. And I thought that was so on the money also for business. I mean, how often do we sit at the meeting and we have no clue what is the intention of this meeting? Exactly. Yeah. And then nobody, then we are rumbling and bouncing off the walls with strangest combination of topics with no decisions made because we have intention deficit disorder happening around the world. I love it. And, you know, there's, there's people I work with and I ask them, I go, so like in my introduction, right, email to email, meeting to meeting, and they're running and they're overwhelmed and so forth. And I go, so you get to meetings, what do you do? Or the first thing I do is actually grab my phone to check what this meeting is about. I'm like, what? Oh, I don't even know what it's about. And I don't even know what the intention is. I'm like, well, then why are you going? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, do you mean I don't have to go? I'm like, well, you're just sitting there as an empty suit, sitting in a chair, taking up the time and getting paid for it. For what? And it's like, oh, I didn't never, never thought about it that way. So in attention deficit, is that the right way of saying it? Intention deficit. So intention uh, deficit. The, the traditional title of the disease, which usually, unfortunately, is abused and overdiagnosed here in the U.S., is attention deficit disorder. This is usually prescribed pills for kids who are running around and being disruptive in class, even though they most of the time just being human beings, normal human beings who learn through movement and activity. But attention deficit disorder became this famous diagnostic. And the idea is that intention serves as a grounding force. Then you know what to pay attention to. Mm, Beautiful. That's really good. I've seen time and time again whereby people have done okay in life, but when they actually understand the intention and they understand all that, they fly, they take off. And you go like, what's happened here? It's just like, have they put rocket fuel there and they're just underweight? Yes, but it's really amazing what people get some clarity around that. And we have studies after studies, of course, the iconic, iconic work uh, that happened in terms of men's search of meaning and the Viktor Frankl's research during his imprisonment during the Holocaust concentration camp in, I don't remember where he was, Auschwitz or another one. His first research around who survived and who didn't survive the concentration camp. And they discovered it's not the proximity to food. It's not whether you work in the kitchen that predicts best if you will live to the end of the freedom moment. It is having something bigger than yourself to live for, whatever that is. For some, it was way, you know, a chance to see my parents or my kids. For some, it was research and contribution to science. For some, it was anything else, a relationship to God, doesn't matter. But relationship to something bigger than yourself was a greater predictor of survival than food or any other comfort, physical comfort. Wow. But that's really, really cool stuff. Yeah, you and I could talk about this all day around yeah, these, these these topics. Absolutely. Hey, um, what makes a leader successful today in this fast-paced, ever-changing world? Well, the number one thing is to stop thinking about change as a isolated project and start thinking of change and reinvention as a thought-out process. Let me give you a difference, the clarification of the difference. Thinking of change as a project is something that we've done in the 90s or early 2000s. Is this idea that we unfreeze the system, change the system, refreeze the system, 
we do a project management tool, we roll out the change process, and then there's a moment when we are done and we move on to this new status quo. The reality is that there is no status quo anymore. We are in a constant disruption and constant volatility. So instead of thinking of change as a project, it's time to think of us ourselves, our teams, our company, change as a process. And this is very similar to think of change as a wedding I put together once or twice in my lifetime versus think of reinvention as taking a shower. If I don't take a shower on a regular basis, I begin to stink. Same with my company. If my company doesn't reinvent on a regular basis and renews and washes off processes, approaches, principles, products, markets that no longer serve the purpose and the intention of the business, it will begin to stink as well. And when you're taking your shower, it's not like you're learning from the first, from scratch every time. You have a process, you have supplies, you have a sequence of events. You have predictable outcomes. You have measured timing it takes for your, I don't know, hair, for your body, for your teeth brushing and so on. So that's the comparison. Reinvention must be at this point more like your budgeting process than more like one-time project thing that we put together and we all push out of our mind and then we relax. It does not work like that anymore. You will be constantly burned out. You will be constantly in a firefighting mode because you will be chasing your tail. But when you make change and reinvention process, you are reinvented preventatively. You have ability to notice trends and disruptions before they hit you. And you have no learning curve because everyone knows and everyone understands the process. Everyone is trained in the process of change. There's no resistance to change. It's just a normal part of life. Yeah. Uh, wonderful way of putting it. And I think it's so important that we need to understand the trends that are happening and then try to be, uh, you know, move along that way. And I, I use the word try. I think the word try and hope should not be part of the vocab of a leader because we might be giving people hope, but that doesn't mean we're going to hope it's going to work or try it's going to work. We've got to, we've got to go and do. And reinventing, I think, is a great way of, you, of you, the way that you said it as well, because too many people get complacent. They sit there, they take things for granted, and then things start to happen and they wonder, whoa, 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 what's happening here and what's what's going on? And change happens to them rather than being proactive and doing the change and moving things forward as an organization. As I said in my actual introduction, change is the thing that we know is constant in the world. And you've either got to embrace it and get on with it, or you're just going to fight against it. And as you said, you're going to always be reactive to it and you're going to be on the back foot and it's going to be hard. And so I also think it's very important for leaders to understand that because A, we go through to change ourselves, but we need to lead that change too. And so if we can do that in a great way of actually helping people through it, then it becomes a no-brainer. It becomes a uh, easy for me to say, but not always easy to, easy to do, right? But it becomes a lot easier and people go on the journey with you. And it's going to be interesting to see, Nadia, over the next sort of year or two, to see which businesses do do this do this, and, and, and those that don't do it well. And who's going to be around in the next year or two years? Well, we already have businesses who are making this transition. You remember that this year, end of last year, was the time where this year of Netflix put out the book called Netflix and the Culture of Reinvention. We have companies who had their executives graduating from our Reinvention Academy and actually installed the function of Chief Reinvention Officer, understanding just like finance or operations or sales. This is now a full-on area of activity that cannot be done as KPI number 33 or a side project you run on the weekend. 
this deserves this skill, the tool, the skill set, the tool set, the mindset, and the level of mastery, mm. professionalism that we have seen in other professions. IT as a profession emerged, of course, with the emergence of a lot of information technologies, we got IT as a profession. And now there is a standard of profession and the mastery. Finance is a profession that is relatively new. We didn't have this profession until very recently, but professionalizing and investing in the mastery becomes very, very important. Yeah. Yeah. So the attention, the intention around it, the mindset. And then I think the other thing, you know, having a seat at the table, because it's going to be very important. And if we do put some attention around it, attention and with the intention, as you've been saying, I think it's going to be very uh, valuable for people, but also for their customers, their stakeholders, for everybody. The employees are going to thoroughly enjoy, may enjoy a lot more, the whole change process for sure. I think it comes down to survival. 100%. Yeah. If they're not doing this. It's just math. It's just math. If you don't do it, you will be out. It's just very simple. Even before COVID, January 2020, 2020, I'm going too far. January 2020, Boston Consulting Group was predicting that 33% of the companies publicly traded will be out of business within five years. We are looking at the scale and speed of change we haven't seen in the past, at least at the time we were tracking. So either you are out or you are building a type of organization that is reinventing proactively on a regular basis without being dragged through transformation against your will. Yeah. So business is one thing. Executives, leaders, people also need to reinvent. 100%. I think it's uh, there's about- no separation. Uh, no. You cannot reinvent a business without reinventing your mindset. You cannot touch a business model without changing your mental model. Nice. And so the business is going to understand whether they need to reinvent and then the right sort of industry. They need to make sure the organization model or structure is going to support that. And then the other big one is they need to understand they have the right leaders on board to actually take it forward. And if not, are there gaps? And what are we needing to do to, 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 to rectify this? Yeah. And I think Nadia is saying number one should be not number 33, but number one KBI should be the, the reinvention side of things and, and making sure that that's, um, that's going really well. There, there's a plug for you there, making sure it's going. 100%. And it's not the only competence. Sure. But I think if I was to name top three of this century, reinvention would definitely be one of them. Just like reading, writing, counting was the basic literacy skill of last century. Invention is one of the basic literacy skills of this century. So imagine my surprise when the famed historian Yuval Noah Harari, the author of Homo Sapiens, the Sapiens, the Homo Deus, Sapiens, and many other books, he wrote an article for Wired magazine where Wired is a tech magazine, essentially. And the first line in that article, he said, forget programming, you must teach your kids a reinvention. I almost fell off the chair when I (laughs) read that article because I can see that there is a consensus being built around the world, that this is a particular set of complex competences that we must invent, invest, invest in if we want to deal with the disruption age we are in right now. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Nadia, we've been talking about the business side and we've been talking about leaders quite a bit. Can we sort of just change tax a bit and, and, and think a little bit about the employees from their perspective through their lens? How has employees' expectations of leaders changed? What are your thoughts around that? 
I think it's not just expectations of leaders. It's the whole concept of what a working life and a career is that is changing. I already mentioned the story of my daughter. My daughter doesn't think of careers. And when we're debating where she starts college next year, we're talking about five to 10 years of her life max. So does it really matter what major you choose? Not really. You just choose the best starting point, the best jumping board into the new version of yourself and the new version of yourself and the new version of yourself. But that, of course, changes the dynamic between employees and the companies because we still live in the illusion that there is some sort of pact, loyalty and commitment and engagement pact between our people and our companies that is simply not there automatically anymore. It used to be the default setting. So when the employee comes in, the factory default setting was you're committed and you're loyal and you want to stay here for a long, long period of time. That is no longer the default setting. So it forces us to recognize that all of us collectively need to want this every single day. And it's not, there's nothing else guaranteed. We need to wake up every day wanting to be in this team, in this company, in this department, because currently there's nothing that ties us to a job aside from ourselves. We have a, most countries in the world right now is, are in labor shortage. Mm. So employees don't need to stay around. They can shop around and find another job. And there is a overall rethink of expectations in life. So I don't need as much salary because I don't want to own an apartment and I don't want to own a car. I want to do car sharing and I don't want to save, save, save and live my life in the retirement. I want to live my life right now. So it's a whole different prioritization of what life is. And therefore we need to build very different relationship to what talent is and how we build different form of loyalty between each other. Nice. And I think if you go back to what you were saying before about the intention side of things, in other words, well, the way I said it was purpose, you know, I think for a lot of people and employees is that intention. Why do I want to wake up today to go and to be in that team and, and so forth, as you were saying? I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's about giving them that. And if they're not finding it, that's why they're leaving. That's why they're off to go and do something. And today they're calling this the great resignation. Well, yes. yeah, it is the great resignation. But you know what? I think COVID's made people wake up and understand about life a little bit more and Let's get out of autopilot. Let's wake ourselves up and decide what do I really want to do in life and where do I really want to go at this point in time? Because yes. five years' time, it may change again. But 100%. Things, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. with you, 100%. And I think the length of the pandemic is also contributing to the fact you can kind of put things on pause for a couple of months and then fall into business as usual. After a year and a half to two years, You are really resetting yourself and you have to ask yourself, do I want this? (laughs) Do I choose this? And it's a different honesty that we, I myself, an employer, we as employers need to have with our employees and with our entire ecosystem that makes the value creation possible, including suppliers, customers, and everyone in between. Sorry, I was going to say that that question you say, do I want this, is very powerful. That is a question that listeners, all of us, need to go away and think about and ask on a daily basis around certain things in life, for sure. Nadia, if I was going to get you to get your crystal ball out and start thinking about the future, even though we've been talking about sort of a little bit about it, where do you see leadership being in five years? 
Well, first, the scientist in me unfortunately sees the worsening data across a whole contingent of issues. So I think leadership will be facing the level of complexity we cannot even comprehend right now in five years. On another side, I see a lot of glorious, beautiful, inspirational, and hopeful signs about the world learning how to catch up to the demands and challenges accumulated in the past decades that we need to address. So where do I see leadership in five years? I see it much more distributed. I see it more of a space than overall as we started this conversation. And I see more local spaces opening up. So leadership getting grounded in an everyday decision. I live on a faraway farmland outside of the city of Columbus. And we have a street that is relatively new, a community of houses that are very, very new. And we had an issue that we need to come together and make a decision. And we sat in a circle and we all debated. That's an example of very localized leadership, very distributed, very organic, very living system-like leadership. I think this is what will happen is that we'll have much more leadership of every kind showing up as close to the ground as possible. Wonderful. Nadia, fantastic conversation today. Thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? You're welcome to find me on LinkedIn. I'm a very, very active LinkedIn user. And of course, learntoreinvent.com is where you can download a lot of our free resources and test out some of our reinvention tools for leadership and beyond. Learn number two, reinvent.com. Yeah, cool. That'll be in the show notes as well. So Nadia, once again, thank you so much. It's been brilliant. It's been amazing. Thank you, Dennis, for having me. Thank you. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes as they've been released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family, your network. Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show or if you've got a question for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. If you haven't already checked out the Facebook group or the LinkedIn page, Leadership is Changing, come along. We'd love to see you at those different platforms. Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 